Greetings in Jesus' name. Well, this morning um, we have a visitor with us, and he has consented to preach. Chris Helmuth from uh, Canyon City, Colorado, uh, has consented to preach for us this morning. Chris is, I don't know how much I need to introduce him. Many of you know who he is. Chris is a longtime friend, former member of Sandy Ridge. Well, we could say a lot of stories. We could say introduce you in a lot of different ways. But we're delighted to have you here this morning, Chris. And um, I'm going to invite you up here. We'll pray for you so you can come up and um, we'll let you preach for us this morning. pray. Our Father in heaven, we come to you now at the beginning of our time of worship and specifically the message, the preaching of the word. I pray for our brother as he speaks to us from the word. I pray that it would be clear and that your spirit would be in him and on him, move through him to us and that same spirit convey the message individually to each one of us this morning. We commit ourselves in this time to you. We want to bring glory to you through this time. So come join us, speak to us, and minister to our brothers. He ministers to us. We pray in your name. Amen. God bless you. Well, thank you, Lyle, and thank you for not sharing some of the stories. Uh, I do want to greet you in Christ's name, and greetings from Colorado. If you drive into Colorado, there's a sign there that says, Colorful Colorado. And some of you have actually been there. And I thank you for coming, and some of you have promised to come, have never made it, but you are welcome to come to Colorado. We actually, our address is actually Penrose, Colorado, not Canyon City, but I think we spend probably more time in Canyon City, Colorado than we do in Penrose. Penrose is just a, a little bird on the map. Uh, was looking around this morning trying to figure out how many people I actually know? Quite a few, most of you, but there's also some young people that, and uh, implants that I haven't gotten to know yet. Uh, I have some former students in the audience. That's a blessing. Johnny was up here singing. I could tell some stories about some of my students too, but. Uh, I was teaching at UCS for a number of years, enjoyed that time, and I also was reflecting on some of the memories of Sandy Ridge. Yes, I was a member of Sandy Ridge for a number of years. We left here at two, 2002, so we were gone for 16 years. We had lived over there where Lyles now lives, and it didn't look nearly like it does now. Uh, he must have found some money or something there. 
so uh, that's where we moved from. Before that, we lived where Marks now live. And I, I remember uh, one morning we were going to Sandy Ridge Church. The Sandy Ridge Church, if you guys don't know, used to be down on 8th Street. That little church that's still standing. I went past it yesterday. The cemetery on the other side there, across the road. And, and we used to go to church, and we wanted to come early because we didn't have any place to park. Yeah, and uh, I remember those days too. Uh, a lot of memories. So one morning, I uh, we probably running later, wanted to be there early. We took off uh, from our house there, and we're running down 331, and I had this very same Bible on top of my van. And it flew off, and I still have some memories of some crinkled pages that never did that never did uh, write themselves. So that's a memory I have from going to Sandy Ridge. And actually another memory I have is this Bible cover. Uh, we were in church one time and I was looking at Joy Beachy Bible cover and I said, you know, I've always wanted a soft cover for my Bible. And he just took it off his Bible and handed it. This is the same one. Uh, thank you. <laughs> so those are some of the memories I have. Uh, and uh, and being uh, a lot of you haven't been to Colorado, I just I just thought that, that maybe if I can find this thing, I put it in my pocket. That maybe I would just give you a little tour of uh, our family in Colorado. So I uh, I brought on a, a few I brought along a few pictures. And where do I point this? There. There. Whoops, going too fast. Well, first of all, my family, um, that is my family. We left here with two girls. And, uh, and now we have that many people in our family. My, my uh, children, my grandchildren, and... And of course, there's our family. Uh, we still have two children at home, Aubrey and Kashif. They're both 16, and they keep us young. Or they give me a heart attack, one or the other. So that's the family that's still at home. And of course, we can't forget the grandchildren. Those are our grandchildren, Ruth and myself and our grandchildren. What a blessing, grandchildren are. Yes, and by the way, my daughter Beth and... My son-in-law, Bruce, are here today, and uh, Beth is standing in the back. Uh, she's probably embarrassed to come in now. So anyway, that, that's our family. We'll move on to our house. Look at that. That's our house in Penrose, Colorado, and a uh, beautiful house. It's, uh, we even have some green there, if you notice. I, I took that picture on purpose with the green in it. Now, here's, here's our barn. That's part of our farm. And we have some critters. Oh, this this is our front porch. So Ruth did a, a good job of planting some flowers because we don't have a lot of green. But I also, if I would show some other pictures, that the flowers she planted, we have grasshoppers this year. And they literally ate some of those flowers completely. They're completely gone. In fact, it's so dry and the grasshoppers are there, they're eating our weeds. That's, that's a blessing. 
And that, that's the view from our front porch. Look at that. And look at the blue sky. Anybody jealous yet? Look at that. And, of course, we have critters. Those are two of my horses. And there's the other one. Uh, we love to ride horses. My daughter uh, trained the one horse on the left. On, on your right, uh, uh, that Palomino, she trained that one. And, of course, we had a colt last year, and unfortunately, uh, he got hit on the road. And that was kind of a sad story there. And I, I raised miniature donkeys, beautiful miniature donkeys. That's a part of my herd, and that's a baby. Yeah, they're pretty cute when they're born. They're so ugly, they're cute. And that is one of my smallest babies. And just so you know, that's my dog, Ranger. He's a regular border collie, and that's uh, one of my baby donkeys. So there you can see. And, of course, with at critters on the farm, I have to raise some hay, so I lease some ground in Canyon City. And that's how we raise hay out there. We, we have to irrigate everything and, uh, and bale the hay. And that's a pretty good crop there. And then, of course, if you look closely, there's a fox sitting on one of the bales of hay. So. And then, of course, I do have a, a roofing business called CR Roofing and Construction. And in case you do need some roofing uh, done, you can call that number. And uh, we'll talk about it. So that's my form of income right now, and I couldn't resist but uh, showing some pictures of my crew. I have two crews going right now, and uh, on this day they were actually working together. And uh, of course, Kashif there in the front is holding the bucket in front of his head, in front of his face, so he can't see him. Again, notice the blue sky, and again, that's a, a view from our front porch. And so. Uh, Besides having all those activities, we're very busy. I'm a deacon of the church there. We have, generally speaking, we have around 250 attendants. And uh, I'm also chairman of the school board. And I just got off the SAFE board, what we call the SAFE board that Lauren Miller started, helping orphanages in, in uh, Thailand and other parts of Asia. So... Uh, Life is good. We're very busy. Life is very good in Colorado. Yes, we're active, we're busy. And, uh, yes. I'd like to read a letter that I wrote up. It's very personal, but I hope you will enjoy it. Um, I tried to get Kendra to read it. I know she's a good storyteller and a good reader. But she said, I wrote it, I have to read it. So, sorry about that. May 5th dawned bright and beautiful. It was a Saturday morning. It is a Spanish holiday called Cinco de Mayo, similar to our 4th of July. I had promised my Spanish worker I would stop by in the evening to eat some food that they were preparing for the occasion. I had plans for a big day with lots of activity. First, a school board meeting at 6 a.m., then meeting with a disgruntled customer after the meeting, a fundraiser at the school, checking my irrigation water, renting a pump to water the high spots in the field where gravity didn't do a good job of watering 
and going to the rodeo that evening if I get done with my other things. I check the water flow in the field early in the morning at 5.30 before our meeting. As I was walking along the pipeline, I felt a little ache in my chest. I didn't worry about it, especially since I had so much to do. The meeting, which I am chairman of, took four hours with many cups of coffee. I met with my customer, got things straightened out there. After that, I went to the school fundraiser for a little bit. Kashif, my son, met me there with a hot dog he didn't want. I ate that one and for good measure got another one to go. Then it was time to get back to work in the field. I did some hand ditching to divert the water to areas that needed it. After that, I felt some tightness in my chest, but not to worry. I had too much to do. I went after the pump before the rental place closed and then got a pitch for at Big R to clean the breeze. When I got back to the field, I started to unload the hoses, 200 feet of 2-inch hose and 20 feet of intake hose with a screen on the end. When I went to unload the pump, I debated. It took two guys to load it, and I was having some chest pain again. Frustrated that I would allow a little pain to hold me back, I decided to sit in the truck in the middle of the hay field. What am I, a wimp? Finally, I decided to call Ruth. I told her I had some chest pains and asked if the walk-in clinic was open on Saturday. She wasn't sure. Next, I called Bruce, who is uh, an RN at the hospital, and he's also my son-in-law, but he was working. I left a message asking if he thought it was anything to worry about. No history of or symptoms of heart problems. I had hiked several miles in the Grand Canyon in March. Went skiing two weeks ago. No worries, the pain will leave. The water is running. The dry ground needs the moisture. I just reseeded some of the high spots. The water will be turned off tomorrow and the pump is waiting in the back of the truck. The pain worsens. I start the truck. What a wimp. I decided to head for the clinic. But what if it isn't open? Or what if I pass out on the way? The hospital is only a mile away and something is definitely happening inside my chest. No time to waver. I will go to the, to the ER at St. Thomas More Hospital. I called Ruth and told her I'm heading for, for ER and told her which way I was going. Meanwhile, I was still in self-denial. I am a young 62, healthy as can be and active. Still, the pain persists. I am finally in a hurry. The speed limit is 30. I'm going 40. I meet a cop, but he pays no attention to me. I come to the intersection, a four-way stop with no other cars there. I just run right through it. Another .4 mile, and I turn right on the road to the ER entrance, and there we Slowpoke traffic, not a worry in the world. I come to the ER parking lot. With my, with my big truck, there is no place to park. I park in the regular parking lot. The pain is worse now. 200 feet to the door. Will I make it? Now I am worried. It's hard to get my breath. It's hot in the parking lot. And my boots are heavy. The main entrance is closer. closer. Should I head for that? No, I can make it. I get closer to the ER doors. Are they going to open? 
Yes, they open automatically. Praise the Lord for modern technology. The second set of doors open. I am in the waiting room. I walk towards the receptions, breathing heavily. But there is another patient in front of me. I find the closest chair and collapse. I am now starting to sweat and I'm groaning. I only hope that someone will notice my predicament. Sure enough, God is faithful. A lady in the waiting room using her cell phone walks up to me and asks if I'm okay. Dumb question. I tell her I'm having a heart attack. I am no longer in denial. She hurries to the lady behind the desk and interrupts her. How rude. And informs her that, I, that we have a problem out here. I didn't hear, but apparently she paid for a cardiac emergency. Before I knew what was up, they had me in the wheelchair heading for one of those dreaded rooms. They asked me to, to take off my shirt, and somehow I took off my boots and got on the table. And such a fuss they raised. I thought they were overdoing. Stickers on my chest, needles in my veins, junk under my tongue, calls for a chopper. They kept on asking my name. Where was I? What was my date of birth? Stay with us, they said. I don't know where they thought I was going. I finally got so tired of the fussing, I thought about rolling my eyes back in my head just for fun, but thought better of it. They had the shock pads on my chest and on my back, and I, I said I didn't need them, but they said just in case. Unbelievable. They were wiping sweat from my face and my chest area. Bruce saw my name on the monitor in the other room he was working in and came in to see what was going on. I saw him come in and told him hi and assured him I was okay. Somehow he didn't believe me. Maybe it was my gray color. He called Ruth, who was on her way, and to inform her that I was indeed having those two dreaded words, a heart attack. I saw Ruth uh, coming to the door. The room, uh, she wasn't allowed to come in. Soon, soon Aubrey came, and soon after that, Kashif appeared. They had been at the school fundraiser, which was in town. It was comforting to know that they were all there before they took me away. They finally relaxed enough to get me to the chopper so I could be transported to Penrose Hospital in Colorado Springs. I told them I always wanted to have a tour of the Royal Gorge from the air. Could we do that first? Request was denied. Seventeen minutes later, we landed on the roof of the hospital. They immediately took me into the cath lab where they inserted three stents. They went in through my arm first and then needed to go through my groin to finish the job. It was only one artery that was blocked. They told me the other arteries looked fine and my heart looks good. I was awake through the whole process. Unfortunately, after all the commotion, there was not enough time left in the day to get done what I had planned to do. The pump was still on the back of the truck. The hose lay in the field. The good Spanish food never touched my hungry lips. The bulls in the Bronx had to buck without one less spectator. And the new seed in the field was left to wither. Life is good. Life is very good. Reflecting back 
on that near-death experience. What is God teaching me? I had to ask myself that question over and over. What is God teaching me? Well, I have to confess this morning, and it's not that easy. I have to confess this morning. According to the scripture, I was leading the life of a fool. If we look in, in Luke, if we look in Luke chapter 12, we have a parable of a fool. Now, I tried to embellish a little bit on my slideshow how good life was and, and all my credentials and, and you know, uh, on purpose. My roofing company is doing good. And I have to admit, I have to admit, in the last two or three years, I very seldom thought about the future. I was living for today. My bucket list was big and long. Yes, we still want to go to Australia. We never made it. We still want to go to Israel. We want to be short-term missionaries after we retire and, and to go to different places in the world. I still have a vision to move to Utah and be a missionary to the fundamental Mormon. Those are all on my bucket list. And life is good. But according to the scripture, I had my priorities mixed up. And I confess that this morning. I want to read that parable and talk about it a little bit more. And he spake a parable unto them. This is out of Luke chapter 12, verse 16. The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentiful. If you notice that field had a lot of bales in it. We're doing good. Life is good. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruit. And he said, this I, will, this I will do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there I will bestow my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be? which thou hast provided. So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Now, I never said those words. I never said, uh, you know, this is what I will do. I will take my ease. I will eat, drink, and be merry. But that's the life I was leading. I was, I was leading a life like this world is my home. And I was building up my own empire. I was proud. I was arrogant. And I didn't even realize it. If you would have asked me before my accident, uh, before my heart attack, if you would have asked me, I said, oh yes, the Lord has blessed me. He has put me into positions. You know, I was, I was proud of that. You have to remember, as, uh, I grew up as, a, as an Amish boy. Just down the road here on County 1033 County Line Road, uh, where my brother Glenn lived for years. That's where I grew up. And I was, I was a child that, uh, I spoke with a lisp. I think that's how you say it. You know, I couldn't pronounce my ethics. T-H is in a, and I had, a, I had a, a gap in my front two teeth. 
And I always blamed it on that, so that's why I couldn't pronounce my R's. And so I just, I mean my THs. And so I kept talking like that, and, and people made fun of me. And, and I, I overcame that. I, I practiced, and, and to this day, I believe that's why I talk slow, because I always watched myself when I was talking and had to use the TH or the S or, you know, some of those other sounds that come out. And people made fun of me. I had very low self-esteem. I was always a fat little boy, and I was made fun of that. My self-esteem was very low. That's how I grew up, and I had a lot of struggles that way. And, uh, but then I became successful. I guess I did. In my own eyes, I became successful. Uh, you know, I started my own business. I, I moved out here where Mark's live. I had a good business there. I moved to Colorado. I, moved, I went to Belize to be a missionary. And all those things, to me, were, were positive. They, they, you know, I thought I was somebody. And uh, I was a self-made success. That's how I looked at as a salesman, I'm still a salesman, a businessman. I had positions, you know. I'm deacon in the church. I, uh, yes, you know, I could go on and on. And I was even so arrogant to say that I was above a heart attack. I was proud of my body. I was in good health. Never took any pills. No. I just, you know, never in the hospital. Never had health problems at all. And I knew that heart problems were a problem in my past, in my hereditary, and somehow I thought I could could beat that. You know, my dad had, I believe, triple bypass surgery. My brother had open heart surgery when he was 60 years old. My grandfather, on the same side, died when he was 56 of a heart attack. My uncle, who I was named after, died at 59 of a heart attack. My mom had 20 years of heart problems. So I was a prime candidate, overweight, and I thought I could beat that rat. I was active after all. I was healthy. Those are all arrogant things that were in my mind. And God had to show me. He had to show me that He had to show me this parable, that that is the way I was living. You know, look at yourself. You're okay. You're doing okay. All about me. And God had to show me. And I'm not proud of it today. God had to humble me. And He had to show me that He is in control. We know that. We know. I knew all the Scriptures. I know all that. And the thing about it, it came upon me in such a subtle way. I would have never thought that that's the way I was living. You know? I would have just never thought. So let's let's look at let's look at what James says. In James chapter four, verse thirteen, he talks about the very same thing. He says, Go to now, ye ye who say today and tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain, whereas you know not what shall be on tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even as a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. For that ye ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or do that. But now ye rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. 
Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. Now, we've heard that read before time and again. And yeah, we believe it. And again, I believe that. But that's exactly what I was doing. I was wrapped up in this very same thing. You know, I get a call for my roofing from Canyon City, from Pueblo, from Colorado Springs. Tomorrow I have to go check that out. I just, you know, I thrived in getting the big jobs, especially if I could out, if I had a higher bid than another company, I still got the job. Man, that was, that was a satisfying, that was a satisfying sale, you know. And, and I just, you know, time to go to, time to go to Colorado Springs. In fact, Tuesday I'm going to Colorado Springs to check out a job. And, you know, that's the way I was living. You buy and sell. You make gain. And, uh, and he says here, what do you know about tomorrow? Rather, you should say, you know, our life is just a vapor. It's here today, going tomorrow. We should think often of where we're headed for, what our goals are, you know, where, where everybody is going eventually, whether it be the second coming or whether it would be our, that God would choose to take us home. We have to remember God is in control of everything. We know not about tomorrow, for we are here in a little while, and then we vanish away. I remember when we were still at Sandy Ridge on, I think it's 8th, the cemetery across the road there, it's an old cemetery. Walking through there, or any cemetery, and you start looking at the names. Just do that sometime. And look at the dates. We don't know who those people are. Maybe some people do, their, their grandchildren, their great-grandchildren. But let's say 75 years from now, there's very few people going to know that you were here. Unless, of course, you're rich and famous. They will remember you if you're president. Or, but I'm just saying, our life is only, we're only here for a little while. And I believe God calls us to do certain things because he says here, Rather, we would say, if the Lord will. How many times in my business do I actually say, should I take this job? This, uh, this uh, customer that was unhappy, if I would have prayed about that job before I took it, I would have never taken it. Unless, I mean, if the Lord would have showed me what I'm going to run into. I ended up doing that job twice. It's a long story. But uh, strictly because of a technology, a tech, a code issue that uh, uh, that wasn't followed, I had to do that twice. If I would have prayed about that, would God have spared me the thousands of dollars I lost on that job? I don't know. But I'm just saying, you know, I thrive in getting good jobs. I thrive in doing business. But do we pray about it? You know, if we purchase something. Do we actually pray about it sincerely? God, where do you want, uh, do you want me to have this? Do you want, uh, do you want me to buy this place? Do you want me to build a new house? How much do we actually just ask the Lord if it's your will? Or do we just go about our business? That's what I was doing. I have to admit it. Paul says, and then boasting. Yes. He says here that we have nothing to boast about. 
We should not rejoice in our boasting. Such rejoicing is evil. And Paul says that he will not boast about anything except for Jesus Christ crucified. Wow. Can we take that example? Let's turn to 2 Peter chapter 3. By the way, my message is supposed to be on priorities. So I never got to that. Second uh, Peter chapter 3. We have the example here. Peter talks about, um, about some people that were scoffers. Verse 1, it says, This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of create, creation. For this they are they willingly are ignorant ignorant of by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water whereby the world that was being overflowed with water perished but the heavens and the earth which are now by the same word are kept in store reserved unto the unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Here, uh, Peter is just, he wants to stir up or to wake up in remembrance these scoffers. Apparently they were Jews who were saying, well, where, where is this, you know, where is the second coming? And then he brings in the flood. You know, he said, whatever God said happened from the beginning. When he said that the earth should be formed, then that, that happened. And when he said he's going to destroy the earth with water, that happened too. But he goes on to say, but that they should not be discouraged, because he says, be not ignorant of this one thing, verse 8, that one day is with the Lord as a, a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. He's saying, just because it didn't happen yet, doesn't mean it's not going to happen. The Lord is not restricted with time and space, you know. That's nothing to him. Uh, he's, he is just Lord. He is and will forever be. We know that. But he's bringing back the fact that when he told Noah it's going to rain, that it waited, you know, he waited 120 years for people to repent. You know, he gave them that opportunity. What happened? They actually went the other way. Where, in fact, there were only eight souls that were saved. But can you imagine? Let's, let's just say, um, out there we have Bishop's Castle, and I think Marx had been there, and maybe some of the others. Uh, some, this crazy guy, he is he's building a castle way out in the mountains, and he's taking the native rock, and he's just adding to it, and adding to it, and it's, it's really high, and it's getting bigger and bigger all the time. People flock from all, all over just to see this monstrosity. It's not a really nice building, it's just a monstrosity but it is about four or five stories high. And, 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 you know, people come around and they wonder if he's working today. They wonder if they're going to see him. 
And if they do see him, he likes to get an argument about the government, how bad our government is. And he's an eccentric type of guy is what he is. He likes to argue. But can you imagine here Noah's Ark? I had to think of that. When he was building this ark, 120 years, and there it stood out there somewhere, this monstrosity of a boat, and I, do you think he was on the t local tourist map, you know? I think there was a big parking lot out there. People would drive their vans in there, and hoping that they would get a glimpse of the crazy old man. And they would make fun of him. It says there were scoff scoffers at that time. And they would, you know, look at the old man. He thinks there's going to be a flood, you know. Never happened. Never will happen. He's just a crazy old man. That's what we're doing today in a lot of ways. You know, I, when I was a child, I heard the Amish preachers preach about the second coming. It meant a lot. You know, I was worried. I wasn't saved. And I was, you know, I kept watching. Is he coming today? Here a big cloud would come. It says he's going to come in a cloud. Is he going to come today? Today I don't even think about it. You know, we get hardened. We stop thinking. Is it ever going to happen? But let's look at the next verse. Verse 9, it says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Maybe that's what the Lord's waiting on, that all should come to repentance. You know, people are getting saved every day, but the world is getting more wicked every day, too. When is God going to pull the plug? Just something to think about. You know, he's not willing that any should perish. Not willing that any should perish. That's how patient he is. And he's not slack in keeping his promises. Someday it's going to happen. So when God says to me that my life is but a vapor, and I live like I'm going to live here forever, then he needs to show me that that's not true. Regardless if I... Uh, if I go on living the way I'm living. And then he goes on to describe the day of the Lord, his second coming. It says, But the day of the Lord will come of the thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt, melt with fervent heat, and the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons Ought you to be in all conversation and godliness, looking for and hasting unto the coming of the day of the Lord, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we according to his promise look for a new heaven and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent, that ye may be found of him in peace and without spot and blameless. Is that really what we're looking for? Or is that really what I'm looking for? He talks about the surety of Christ's return. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Whether we believe it or not, or whether we're living it or not. And so, God had to show me. I thank God 
for his mercy in giving me a heart attack. I wasn't completely gone. I don't think I was, was not saved at any time, but I was living like I was building my own empire. I was going to be here for the rest of my time. Not my time, but for forever. And that's not what God wants us to be. The, the three main things that God showed me during this time I'm still processing. It's only two months. Process. What does He want for me? Where does He want me to go? The things that I'm involved in, there's nothing wrong with that. Absolutely nothing wrong with that. I've never felt condemned for being involved in the things I'm involved in or the things that I have. God showed me the preciousness of family. My family is far more dear to me than they were before this happened. When I saw Ruth, Aubrey, and Kashif, and Bruce there at the hospital, I saw the concern on their face and the tears. I realized, wow, these are precious to me. These are the ones that are... And, and then the other thing, you know, the speedy recovery, today I'm back to normal, and I feel that way. And the doctor said, everything looks good. But just take care of yourself. I, I contribute that to my brothers and sisters that were praying. You know, I could have died. It was a major heart attack. And the doctor said that the artery that was closed, they call that the widow maker uh, because of the seriousness of it. I contribute the prayers of my brothers and sisters, not only in Colorado, but here, of praying for my speedy recovery. And then another thing that God showed me is the compassion for the lost. So busy. How often do I witness to my customers? How often is that my primary goal is to help others? It is. I have always had a compassion for the lost. That's, but we get so wrapped up, or I do. Jesus said, you know, look on the fields. They are white to harvest. And he says, Pray to the Lord of harvest for laborers. That doesn't mean going to Thailand. Of course it does. It means everywhere, going everywhere. But it also means our own community, right here in our own community. And in, in our own churches. It just, it's there. I mean, I know that's a hypothetical question, but who would you choose in this congregation to be lost? Paul said, I would that I would be accursed of Christ for the sake of my brethren, the Israelites, that they could be saved. He was willing to be separated from Christ. That's how compassionate he was because the Jews did not accept Jesus Christ. Moses was the same way. He would have died separated from God for his fellow men. But I just ask, if you had to choose how much do you love your brothers? If you had to choose for one person in here this morning to be lost, who would you choose? A compassion for the lost. Pray to the Lord of harvest. Pray for your neighbors. Witness to them. I just wonder how many times I miss the opportunity 
because of my busyness, my desire to, to make a sale and not just be a witness to my brother, uh, to my customer, or to other people. So this morning, as a teacher, I want you to do one thing. Corinthians says that we look not on the things which are seen, but we look on the things which are not seen. For the things that are seen are temporal, and the things that are not seen are eternal. I want you to make a list, either physically or mentally. Make a list and list the things that are most precious to you today. Whether they be things or whether they be people, anything that is precious to you, family, your vehicles, your places, your whatever, it's your jobs, whatever is the most precious to you today, make a list of that and put them in that category. Are they eternal? Are they temporal? And, and focus on that. Uh, Souls are eternal. Vehicles are temporal. Things are temporal. And so, yes, I have many things, but they're all going to burn up. That's what Peter was saying. They're all going to burn up. They're all going to go up in smoke. You think about that. Everything you have that you can see is going to go up in smoke. Just make a list. And think of your daily routine. Think of your daily routine that you do. We have our jobs. And some of these things bleed together. Obviously, we need to make money to support our family, which are precious, which are eternal. We have to make money, or we do make money, to support missionaries. You know, that's just part of it. But what is your focus? What is your attitude? If you are out there on a daily basis, what is your mindset? That's what I want to ask. Is it just to build up your own empire? To build up your own bank account? Or is it, I'm doing this for the Lord? There's a huge difference. And that's where I've had failed in the last number of years. What's the purpose? What are our priorities? Are we doing it, really doing it for the Lord? Is that constantly on our mind? You know, of course, it's the right to have goals and to, to do things. I believe it's, it's, it's the attitude. I believe it's, it's how we view things. Preparing ourselves for something greater, something better. And at the time we're here, to look out for souls and asking God that His will would be done and not our own. And constantly having that on our mind. The priorities. Make that list. You'll be surprised what comes up. What is precious to you. That's all I have this morning. Thank you for, for listening. Um, I thank God this morning for my hard time. I think I already said that. I thank Him for it. I hope that I can keep my priorities straight from here on out. Let's pray. Lord, I want to bless the people here this morning. The congregation. Your people, they are precious in your sight. They are precious in my sight. And thank you for the opportunity to be able to share.
bless them this morning. Lord, we do want to look to you for our future. We want to constantly have Jesus Christ at the center of our life and seek him for all things. And thank you that that these people are doing this and that I ask, Lord, that you would give me a zeal to do that more and more throughout life. In Jesus' name, amen.